Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here this afternoon, and I, I thank you for your word. I pray that today we would be nourished through it. I pray that as um, your word is being preached, we will be also confronted through it, but that um, it will also bring comfort and hope to us. I pray that we will also be transformed through it and that your Holy Spirit will speak to us and shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Um, I pray that Ultimately, your name would be glorified and your gospel would be preached in this city and around the world. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So, uh, as Pastor Bill said, we're going to start a series in the book of uh, Micah. Uh, this is a book that I'm very excited to talk about and, and preach. And I want to give you some information to uh, give you some context of, of the book before we, we start with it. And the first thing I want to say is that the name of the book is, is actually the name of the author, a minor prophet named Micah. And it's a minor prophet not because it's less important, but it's actually, um, it's called a, or they are called minor prophets because of, of their size. So they're just shorter books that, that we find in the Bible. And Micah means who is like the Lord. And this is something that we're going to we're going to see throughout the book. Uh, Micah prophesied uh, in, to both kingdoms once Israel was divided into two kingdoms. He prophesied to the kingdom of Israel in the north uh, with its capital of Samaria. And he also prophesied to the kingdom of, in, in the south, uh, which was Judah when it, with its capital, Jerusalem. He prophesied in the period uh, between 757 uh, and 699 before Christ. And he is a contemporary of another very famous prophet, Isaiah and Hosea. And in fact, they have similar themes and problems and, and things they highlight and point. They have similar tones. And uh, Micah, as a, as a book, seeks to show uh, or portray God's attributes of justice uh, by uh, declaring and displaying his punishment and condemnation of sin and also sinners. And Micah not only displays God's justice in that way, but also displays God's mercy uh, with some of the most amazing promises uh, that we find in the entire uh, Old Testament and the entire Bible. In fact, uh, we will read about a pro the prophesying of Jesus' birth uh, and his coming as Savior. And especially if you get a chance to read the book, which I hope you do during the week, <clears throat> you will see that chapter 7 is probably one of the most amazing uh, promises of God's love towards his rebellious people, and, and it brings a lot of hope. So 
This is Micah. Some theologians have named Micah the prophet of the people because uh, there is an emphasis as well throughout the book, uh, an insistence in, on denouncing oppression and other social injustices like abuse of power, fraud, and even exploitation. So we believe that this is also another way that God is portrayed as a God of justice and mercy. Uh, he even displays mercy towards the oppressor and the people in power who abuse uh, the people under them. So chapter one is gonna set the stage for us and we're gonna uh, start with that. It, chapter one is gonna show us how the breaking of the first commandment in, inevitably uh, brings us to break the second commandment which is not, not being able to love our brothers uh, because we don't first love God. So this is what we're gonna read today and let's go ahead and, and dive into Micah chapter one. And uh, I, I said this this morning, if you are able to quickly find Micah, it's because you are a good Christian. So show me that you can do it. Micah is right after Jonah and before Nahum. Um, let's go ahead and, and, and read our passage this, this afternoon. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morseth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will lay waste. For from the, face of a, the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." For this is the lament and wail. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For, he, for her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It, it has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, Bethlehem. Roll your sleeves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Azel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord into the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give pardon gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Aksib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marisha, the glory of Israel. 
shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourself as bald as an eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. So before I start, I, I would like to uh, ask, how often do we, do we think of, of our own sin? If you are like me, and if you're a Christian, especially a Christian who's constantly reminded of, uh, about the gospel or of the gospel, we tend to sometimes forget about, about sin. But mostly our personal sin. We, we are able to quickly find and point out the sins of others. And we look at the news and we see the effects of sin in our world. And, and, but when it comes to our sin and evaluating our sin, sometimes we, we don't often think about these things. In fact, I would go as far as to say that this is not a popular topic we hear preached in churches. Especially today, I, I, I think that I, I rarely see sermons on sin and, and what sin is and, and what God thinks of sin. There's mentions of it, but I rarely see it. And today, we're going to talk about sin, and we're going to see its consequences. And we're going we're gonna to take this as a reminder of how God sees sin and the consequences that he has established for it. So the first thing I want to remind us of today is that God punishes sin. The first uh, seven verses of, of this chapter reminds us that, or basically gives us an account of how Micah is telling the people, look, because of your idolatry, because of what you have done, God is coming to destroy you. He is bringing judgment upon you. The people of God have turned to idolatry, and God is coming to punish them. And re remember this. This book, that we're, the, whole, the entire book of Micah, and in fact, the all of the books of the prophets are prophesying mostly to, to Israel, to the people of God. Micah is not talking to a pagan nation asking them to stop doing what they're doing. No, Micah is preaching, is prophesying to God's people. So this is very fitting to us. We forget about our sin, and Micah is denouncing the sin of God's people. Micah denounces the two main cities, or the, 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 the capital of each of the kingdoms of the north and south, Samaria in the north, Jerusalem in the south. But the reality is that Micah is prophesying against the entire nations. And the people have turned to idolatry. There's mentions in what we just read of carved images, which was a common practice of other pagan nations to, to also worship images, carved images. There's also mentions of high places. In fact, that we are told that God will st st uh, uh, stump on their high places. Will, their, their high places where they used to worship, they will be, they will be destroyed. And there's even mentions of uh, prostitution which is a common theme in the Old Testament that God uses to refer to idolatry, to, to refer to the breaking of the covenant that the people of God had with God. The people of God made a covenant with him in which he was going to be his God or their God, and they were going to be his people, similar to marriage. So when they go out and start worshiping other gods, God calls this prostitution. Because they're seeking after a different kind of gain by being unfaithful to God. The people of Israel and the people of Judah began to worship other gods. 
And God actually uses a prophet named Hosea to tell the, the, to tell the people that they are like a prostitute. In fact, if you have ever read the, the, the prophet Hosea, you will see that God commands him to actually engage or marry a prostitute to give us a picture of how God deals with us as his people and unfaithful people. And God is calling his people on Micah to pay attention, to hear that he's coming to bring punishment to them because of their sin. Micah gives us a picture of a powerful God coming to destroy two big cities. In fact, we are told that this God is going to tread upon mountains and they're going to melt like wax. God is going to step on the earth and valleys are going to split. And this is a description of a powerful, mighty God who is coming against sin and also against sinners. And we sometimes forget that sin is a serious offense to God. God hates sin. God punishes sin because he is a God of justice. God's righteousness and God's holiness provoke his wrath against sin and of course against sinners who enact the sin. God is a God who will ultimately right every wrong. And we are all about justice when, it talk, when, when it's about somebody else. We're all about the judge declaring somebody guilty when somebody else did something that we didn't like. Or somebody else is guilty of something that was done. But we don't like to hear the guilty verdict when it's us who are getting the guilty verdict. And God is a righteous judge who will, who will condemn and punish sin, even against his own people. And what I'm talking about today, especially for us as his people, is not the ultimate punishment of hell or eternal separation from God. This is not, or I am not talking right now about us spending eternity in suffering. Rather, I'm talking about how God, Jesus has already taken care of that. But in the context of today, we are still suffering the consequences of sin. And this is what God is calling his people to do, to stop sinning. Idolatry is a sin that explicitly displaces God from the center of our hearts. And therefore, idolatry is a sin that places other things in the place that only God should have. And in the case of Micah, these were other gods. Israel built actual temples and high places to golden calves and bulls. They worshiped other gods like Baal and, and, and other pagan gods. And they completely rebelled against God. And what, what, what the people of God was, were doing or were doing uh, is that they were basically telling God, we don't need you anymore. They were telling God, we are now going to trust this new God because I don't think you are working. We don't trust you anymore. We're going to go find our joy, our peace, uh, our prosperity somewhere else because we're not really happy with you as our God. So we're now going to try new gods. We're going to try a new idol and see if they actually give us what we want. And the reality is that just like the people of God in the time of Micah, we continue to do the exact same thing today. Thousands of years have passed 
since this text was written, and we have not been able to fix this problem in the human race or the people of God. We continue to be idolaters, and we continue to place all kinds of things in the place that only God should have in our hearts. This is not just an Old Testament thing. This is also a New Testament thing. Colossians 3, Paul is, is talking to another church in a city called Colossa, and he actually tells them, hey, you Christians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly on you. And then he names sexual, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And he says that all of these things are what? Idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Who is Paul speaking to? Christians. Idolatry is the breaking of the first commandment of loving God above everything else and anyone else. Idolatry is the fractioning, the breaking of our vertical relationship with God. Like Bill quoted a few weeks ago, right? I think it was last week, John Stutt's definition is right on point of sin. Sin is a revolt of self against God. The dethronement of God with a view of, to the enthronement of oneself. Ultimately, sin is self-deification. The reckless determination to occupy the throne which belongs to God alone. And God punishes sin in us because He is a God of justice. He comes like a mighty warrior against us and our sin. And God allows destruction because sometimes he wants to show us something. He breaks us. He punishes his people with the purpose of stripping them off or stripping us off from all the idols we have and everything that we believe that brings us this false sense of peace or security or joy. Everything that we think will give us what we think we need God comes and strips, strips takes, it, takes it away. God comes and removes all of that to let us see, to realize that all we truly have is Him in the end. And God does this because He loves us. And this is what the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, that God is a Father that loves His people and therefore He disciplines us. Think about this. God is like a father. And he knows that if we are in control of our lives, if we take the wheel of our lives, if we do what we think is best for us, we are going to crash our life. We are going to ruin our life. And this has been demonstrated over and over throughout human history. Humans continue to displace God, ignore God, do whatever they want, and this is where we are. We have history. We have thousands upon thousands of years of just killing each other and doing all kinds of horrible things because we take our lives in our hands and we believe that we know better than God. And God is saying, stop. I'm going to show you that you can't do this. I have to stop you because if you have the control of your life, you're going to do what we've always done. Wreck our lives. So God comes and strips us from our idols and teaches us that the best thing that we can do, the best for our lives, 
is for God to be in control of our lives. Even though we don't like it, even though we don't believe it, it is the truth. This is the truth. God, in the center of our lives, is the best thing that we can do. We are not as smart as we think we are. And I always use my son Caleb as an example, and I forgot to do it this morning because it's the perfect example. My son Caleb is four, and this morning while my wife was trying to listen to me preach, she got called out because they kicked him out of kids' worship. <clears throat> and he doesn't listen. He just does not listen. He believes that whatever comes to his brain is the best thing that he can do. And he doesn't even realize in all the dangers he puts himself into. I've taken my son Caleb to the hospital more times than all my other kids together. And he's only four. He's the youngest one. Because he, he, whatever idea comes to his brain, he just goes for it. He has no filter. He just goes for it. He runs to the street, he, he, whatever he wants. And he doesn't realize, just, just, just like us, that having us, his parents, taking control of his life is the best thing that could happen for him right now. And we are so hard-headed sometimes that we think that we're going to be better than God. And no. God loves us so much that he comes and breaks us in order to understand that we need him more than anything else. I know this is not a popular teaching. I know this is maybe not making you feel so good right now about yourself. But it is a biblical teaching. And it is an elemental teaching that allow us, allows us, allow, I, allow or allows. I can hear you, so whatever. <clears throat> teaching that allow us to understand the gospel. Without this teaching of God punishing, punishing sin, we, will not, we would not have the gospel. The entire gospel would crumble. Because Jesus is the one who takes the punishment for our sin and our transgressions. And therefore we are saved. And if Jesus does not get punished and if there's no punishment for sin, then, then we don't have a gospel. We don't even need a gospel. But it is true. God continues and still punishes sin. And again, this is not... If you're a Christian, I'm not talking about you spending eternity in hell. I'm talking about the daily sin that we have. And that sin has consequences. Even though Jesus has paid for our sins, and we no longer have to be condemned to eternal condemnation, we still suffer the consequences of sin. And God has established that and allowed that for our benefit. If you lie, if you cheat, if you steal... There are consequences for you. Social consequences, legal consequences, all kinds of different consequences. God hates sin and he justly punishes it. And we must remember that the God we worship hates, condemns, punishes sin. And we easily forget as Christians to think about this serious offense against the God that loves us. And Micah is bringing this up to our, to our attention. He's, he begins by saying, hear all you people. Punishment is coming. And that brings me to my second point, is that sin, our sin, brings pain and suffering. From verses 8 to verses 15, we read... 
of how other towns, not only, not only Jerusalem and Samaria will be destroyed, but there are mentions or of at least 10 different towns or cities that are also going to be affected by this destruction that is coming upon Israel. And this is showing us something, is that our sin not only affects us, it also has an effect on others around, around us. It, it not only brings pain and suffering to us, but it also brings suffering and pain to the people around us. Sin produces suffering and produces pain. Ultimately, it produces death, both physically and spiritually. But it begins by causing pain and suffering. Not only to us, the sinner, but also the people around us who are also sinners. And this, this was established from creation until today. Argentinian theologian Esteban Both says, the entry of sin affects the entire creation. Sin not only causes harm in the spiritual realm, it also alters the harmony in the realm of human relationships, in ecology, in the body, and, the, and in the access to a dignified life for all human beings. This is true. This, this section mentions at least 10 different towns that are geographically placed in between Israel and Jerusalem and Babylon and Assyria. The, 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 the kingdoms that will come and eventually uh, destroy and take captive each one of these nations. And I want to remind us that our sin also affects the people around us. And as much as we would like to say, you know what, this is my problem, leave me, leave me alone, I would deal with it, this is my own decision, it's not like that. And you will realize this the more you grow up. The more I get old, the more I realize uh, the responsibilities I have, the more I understand how my sin has affected and continues to affect the people that I love the most around me. My sin brings pain to my wife. My sin brings pain to my children. And when, and when I was young, my sin brought pain to my parents. And I was actually reminded of this last week, I think, or a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, my parents came from Mexico for my ordination. And um, we had a, a celebration with Carla's family who live in Bowie. So we had a big family meal and we were sitting at the table uh, and this is something that doesn't really happen often. So we had Carla's parents and my parents in the same table, and we were all having uh, lunch together and, and a good conversation. And, and my parents and, and, and her parents started having some fun by remembering all the things we did when we were in love, when we were dating. And they started bringing up stuff that we were not very comfortable with them bringing up. So when you have two parents in a table, just step away if you are in love. Um, so they started bringing up stuff that, that we didn't even remember. And one of the things they brought up is the fact that uh, we used to use the phone. Because Carla and I uh, had a long-distance relationship for about a year and a half. I was in Mexico, and Carla spent six months in Tel Aviv uh, after college. And then she came back to the U.S., and then we spent about a year apart, a year and a half in total. So Carla was so in love with me, she kept calling me all the time. I couldn't help it. 
Just kidding. I was the one calling. And uh, one thing I didn't mention in the morning service is that one night, we actually spent about six hours on the phone. And uh, my parents brought this up, and they kind of mentioned the amount I owe them still. And um, I know this is funny, but the reality is that my mistakes, even as a, as a child, brought pain or had consequences not only for myself, but for my parents as well, and my sister, and my brother, and all these people around me. It's the truth. Our lying, our cheating, our pride, our disobedience, our laziness, and you, I can go on and on. All of that always affect the people around us and brings pain and suffering upon others. And we need to re, re, be reminded of the seriousness of this, this thing that we have to battle constantly. And we are not often reminded of how serious sin is. This is not something you can play with. This is, this is something that kills people. It kills you. And God punishes it. And it affects others around you. And it also influences others around you as well. Your sin can be an influence towards others so that they will sin as well. In fact, Jesus calls the, 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 the sin of the Pharisees leaven. And he actually warns his disciples about it. Read with me Mark 8 verse 15. Uh, Jesus actually says, verse 15 says, And he cautioned them saying, this is, he's talking to his disciples, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We need to understand that our sin is not this little thing that it's very, it's just passive there that we just have within us and that we sort of deal with it. No, you have something that's like a, a living, whatever it is, thing inside of you that wants to come out and wants to go to other people and wants to influence and wants to kill you and wants to kill the people around you. That is sin. And Jesus is telling his disciples, watch out, beware. Do you, do you realize this? Sin is not just a little thing that you have. No, Jesus is saying, be careful. And later on, he actually calls the sin of the Pharisees hypocrisy. And he's referring to, to yeast, a microscopic fungus that spreads quickly in food. And that's how sin is. You can't take sins lightly. Jesus is telling his disciples, be careful. Our sin affects other people. And you see this as a parent. My oldest son is, is nine. He's about, to, he's about to turn uh, 10 years old. And I already see my sin in him. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're like, oh, my God, where did he learn? Oh, I know where he learned that. Because our sin influences other people. And this is why God also cautions his people against idolatry or against being so, so friendly with other nations, other pagan nations. Remember God told Israel not to mix with other nations? Because he knew that over time they were going to start doing what the, these other nations 
were doing. And in fact, they did. They started worshiping their, their, their gods. They started doing the same, the same things they did. And they ended up forgetting about God and diving into idolatry. So as Christians, we must, we must never forget the ugliness and the destructive power of sin. We are never, ever in the Bible commanded to forget about our sin, even as Christians. If you picture the entire New Testament, even though we understand the gospel, and even though Jesus has died for us, and even though we, Jesus has defeated sin and death for us, even though we are now in freedom, even though we are now children of God, we are constantly called throughout the New Testament by Paul and Peter and Titus and James to fight, to put to death, to get rid of, to stay away, to run from sin. We are never told, you know what, you're done. Good job. You got this. See you in heaven. No. We are never told to take it easy and lightly. We are told to fight and to be aware that we are in a battle. Even though this is not or this will not have eternal consequences, God continues to punish sin. Our sin will bring pain and suffering to us and to the people around us. And Micah is condemning Israel and telling them, you, people of God, have turned to idolatry and God is coming to punish you. And all these towns are going to be affected because of what you've done. And Micah's reaction is, is an important reaction. He actually tells us that he's going to mourn and lament. Verse 8, he says, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Because sin will cause us and others pain. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't end there. The last verse of this chapter calls us to repentance. The last verse of this chapter ends with a call of hope. Verse 16 says, make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourself as bald as the eagle. For they shall go from you into exile. We are commanded to shave our heads, but not physically. Even though they used to do it back then. We are commanded to be humiliated. To have a posture of humility and mourning. That's what shaving your head used to mean. It was a sign of helplessness and weakness. And we see this in other parts of scripture where God is bringing punishment to his people. And he's telling them that what he's going to do is humiliate them. Amos 8 verse 10 says, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. That should be our posture towards sin. A posture of humbleness, a posture of lamentation and mourning. Not justifying it or ignoring it or, or even worse, embracing it. But rather, allow our sin to drive us back to God. Our sin should always drive us back to God. Because we must understand that we are dealing with something that's beyond our capacity to handle. 
We must understand we are weak against sin. We are unable to get rid of our sin on our own. We cannot overcome or control our sin on our own. We are weak to fight against our sin, except with Jesus, except through Jesus. The only difference with, with, between us and the people who don't know Jesus is that we now have the tools to fight our sin. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to fight our sin. That's why we are no longer slaves of sin. We are now free from sin. And we now have the grace and the power of God to fight, to run away, to overcome our sin. Because you are a Christian, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. But we need to allow our sin to bring us back to God. We must repent from our sin and turn to God. Satan's purpose with sin is to separate us from God. The, the, what, what, what Satan is trying to do is to destroy us, to kill us, because he wants us to get as far as possible from God. But what Jesus does and the Holy Spirit does through our sin is that it grieves us and it shows our inability and our weakness and it brings us back to God. Our sin as Christians should Take us back to God. We should be moved to repentance and go run to God. And often we do the opposite. Often we run to ourselves. Often we believe we have the ability. We believe that we are capable. And that is one of the dangers of living in such an educated and powerful city is that it gets to us. It's that we truly believe that because of our position and because of what we've achieved and because of where we are, we are able to control things that we are not able to control. You are a human being and you are as weak as anybody else when it comes to your sin. It does not matter how many degrees or where you work. You are a human being who is unable to conquer sin And that's why we need Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead us back to God. And repentance, recognizing our, hum our, our, our inability and humiliating ourselves before God brings about one of the most beautiful gifts and fruits in the entire Bible, and that is forgiveness. We have a God that if we repent, if we go before him in repentance, will forgive us. Jesus is our only hope in sin. And he reminds, reminds us of this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you go to God, recognizing your sin and in repentance, he will never turn you down. God is faithful to forgive us if we repent. God is faithful to, and, 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 uh, to forgive us and cleanse you from, uh, from, from your sin. And if you're not a Christian today and you're listening to me, and maybe you did not like what I said before or how, how I spoke about or how the Bible speaks about sin, I want to tell you it doesn't end there. 
The Bible doesn't leave us in, 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 this, in, in distress or, or with this bad news. No, the Bible always takes us, lifts us to hope. And our hope is Jesus. And our hope is that if we recognize that we need a Savior, if we humbly come before God in repentance and believe in Him, He will take us, He will cleanse us, He will give us life, and He will give us His love. We are all sinners. We all deserve to be punished. But God in His love for us sent His God to pay for our sins. Jesus was uh, sacrificed. Jesus was beaten and, and crucified in our place as our substitute. He was punished in our place. Jesus took the full force of the wrath of God in our place. And he came to live the life that we couldn't live. He was the perfect human being that obeyed everything his father told him to do. And he took our sin upon himself. And on, in him, we are now forgiven. Romans 6, 23 assures us that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has already defeated sin for us. Jesus has already reconciled us to the Father. And he had made our relationship with him right and only through Jesus we are now able to be forgiven and stand against our sin through the power of the Holy Spirit so I want to encourage us all to not take our sin seriously and to allow our sin to drive us back to Jesus every single time there is grace for everybody all the time let's pray Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your righteousness and your justice. We thank you because you are a, a good God. And Lord, I pray that today we would all be reminded of the seriousness and the dangers of our sin. And first, I want to thank you for overcoming it for us and for freeing us from it. And for giving us eternal life and being secure in you through the gospel. But I pray that today we would be reminded that we need to continue to fight our sin. Help us, Lord, never to take our sin lightly and understand its consequences, its dangers. And Lord, I pray that everybody here, all of us as your people, would turn to you every time we, we sin. I pray that we would be um, humble enough to repent and to turn to you and receive the beautiful forgiveness and strength that is only found in you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.